Okay, let's pray. Father, we come before in Jesus' name. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you. Help me not to get in the way or say anything unnecessary. We love you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Call God's people in the dark. And I guess I'll start by asking this. Have you ever come across a situation where people who call themselves Christians, maybe an individual, or a church you know of, or a church your family is in, or maybe a church you've been a part of, or hopefully not are a part of, but you find so incredibly frustrating. And you say, how in the world can people call themselves Christians and do X, Y, Z? And this last week, I just found myself getting frustrated at so many things that kept coming up. Um, and some of them were friends would tell me about things that they're facing, people that they're involved with who call themselves Christians, and just the most horrendous immorality and hypocrisy and just terrible stuff. And, uh, you know, lately, super popular podcast right now, The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill, which talks about these super mega churches and how. They blow up in terms of size and can just implode like this, like one of the biggest ones in the last 10 years. Had 15,000 people involved, and they shut the box and closed the place down a couple months after the pastor kind of spun out of control. And so much happening right now in the church and in individuals and in churches is one of the reasons I didn't want to become a pastor. Is it the church? Um, even the churches I grew up in and the way people did, it didn't make any sense to me. I'm like, where's the concern for the poor? Where's the concern for souls? Where's the love of God's word? Why don't people get excited when they worship? Um, why don't people love each other? Why, why is there a black church and a white church and a brown church and a yellow church? And a, you know, it's like, why? This is not biblical. This is not right. So that's just making me think sometimes we just feel like God's people seem to be totally in the dark. But of course, we're the ones that see clearly, right? Um, well, maybe we're in the dark, too. Maybe we're all in the dark. Maybe we're all just stumbling around. Um, sometimes people come to our church and they'll be like, that's not the way church is supposed to be. How do you know? Who, who gave you the master plan of church? Have you memorized the Bible? Someone, someone got mad at me for one time. I've probably told you this before. I didn't wear a tie. I knew that this guy's daughter had almost killed herself because the guy was such a miserable father. What do you think God's more concerned about? Somebody being a miserable father or a pastor not wearing a tie. I don't know of any Bible verse that talks about a tie. Somebody said, we got to do this kind of music. You're going to have this kind of kids program, whatever. Do we really know what God wants out of a church? No. <laughs> you don't have to answer all of my questions out loud. <laughs> sometimes it's good when it's like, amen, brother. That works. But uh, it's like, no, maybe. Yeah, sometimes. Let me think about that. No, no, that's it. That's enough. That's enough. Okay. But I, I think like right now, it's like we got to ask ourselves, is, is God's church in the dark? Are we in the dark? What would it throughout history? So often God's people have been in the dark. They don't think they're in the dark. They're just deceived. They think they know what church is about. I was thinking about this and sometimes I get so frustrated and I think I'm justified because I have good biblical reasons for thinking the church is in the dark. Like how can a church read the New Testament and yet not have a concern for the poor? And yet they don't. Or not have a prayer meeting? We have one night a week. I know you guys pray at other times and other places. We have a lot more going on than one night where we all come together. And we spend a couple hours together praying. Most people think that's revolutionary. I don't even know if that's a pass in God's eyes. When you look at the way the church is praying in the New Testament, we're not like, oh, yeah, we're awesome. We're praying for a whole two hours. I mean, and I know we're doing a lot more prayer than that, but... I think, is God's church in the dark? Are we in the dark? Well, sometimes, sometimes this is what I feel like. That's Jesus. It's not an actual photograph. This is from a movie. <laughs> but when he, he made a scourge out of cords and he, he just cleaned everybody out of the temple because God's people were in the dark. They were in church to hustle, to make money. And it reminded me of Jim Cimbala's sermon, House of Prayer, which is probably my favorite sermon of all time any, that anyone has ever preached. And if you haven't listened to it, go listen to it. 
And he was basically, the whole point was, God's church doesn't even pray. And when Jesus was done clearing everybody out, he said, my house is supposed to be a house of prayer. It's supposed to be a place where people come so they can interface with the God who created them. And you've made it into a house of merchandise, a house to make a buck. And in our culture, a house of entertainment, a house of culture, a house of pop. You know, it's like a house of best-selling authors. Is it really a place where we're engaging God in life-changing ways? So Jesus, you know, that's what I feel like. But I don't think I'm as pure-hearted as Jesus usually. Um, and so one time, this is what he did one time when he was thinking about how in the dark the church was. But this also made me think about another time where he was thinking about how in, in, in uh, the dark the church was. And he wept. He wept over Jerusalem, wept over his people. He said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, if you had only known these people were religious. They were at all the right services, doing all the right rituals. And he's weeping. He's saying, because you're going to be flattened. You're so out of touch with the heart of God that you're going to be flattened. You, the, the Romans are going to come and there's not going to be one stone on top of another stone. They're going to, and actually that happened that the, the Romans actually took the temple and the, and the walls apart because they're in the temple, gold had melted down in between the stones. I want to get all the gold out of it. So he, he's weeping because this, you claim to be my people, but you're so out of touch with God's heart and what God wants, et cetera. So are we out of touch? And this week I was very frustrated because I kept coming across circumstance after circumstance um, where when you get mad, it's easy to get self-righteous and judgmental. It's better to weep. And God reminded me of somebody that I care about a lot who uh, was very misguided and kind of brought into the broader evangelical church and kind of whisked up the leadership ladder before they're even saved. And he said, we love that person, right? So, so the other people that are caught up in this system, love them. They're not, they don't wake up in the morning and say, I know exactly what God wants. I think I'm going to be a knucklehead. I think I'm going to take some fifth rate religious system that's not going to be able to get anything done. And I'm going to run with it because I understand God's heart and what God wants. I'm just not going to do it. No, they were born into a system that is misguided. And so usually these are good people. They love the Lord. They want to do God's will. And they've just never been shown the way out. So I think this would be our better posture would be tears. So um, I just want to share some things about if we're in the dark, what does it look like when the light comes on? The Bible's really clear. History's really clear about this. I want to find out what it means to walk in God's light, to welcome God's light, and to be a part of something that actually brings God, God's light to the generation that I'm in, because it's possible. I know it could be us. Super wonderful things are happening in this, in this little body. Incredible things. But um, we got a million miles to go. And that's why I want to do this month of prayer and fasting. Do we want to, we want to really bring God's light, bring God's glory? Are we in a time of darkness or are things okay? You look at the church and you look at the things people are saying. Are, are Bible-believing, born-again people known for love, compassion, they used to call us evangelicals. Evangelicals have become so ugly that I won't even use that term in public anymore. I was going to get a t-shirt and say, I'm an evangelical and I apologize. Bible-believing, born-again Christians are not known for love and compassion and helping the poor. We're known for keep those foreigners out. My stuff, my rights, right? My guns. That's what we're known for. It, it, is that the spirit of Christ? Maybe some of us are like, what are you talking about? That's what evangelicalism is. That's what it's like. No, I think we were lost. So I think we need to reevaluate. Uh, this is what it looks like when the light goes on and the light comes in and brings light into a dark culture. My favorite description of revival in the Old Testament then your light will break out like the dawn. Your recovery will spring up quickly. Your righteousness will go before you. The glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. You'll call and the Lord will answer. You'll, you'll cry for help and he'll say, here I am. Is that what you feel like when you pray? You pray and God's like, oh, right here. Yeah, got you covered. It's coming down the pipe. That's what it says happens when the lights are on. 
not making excuses as to why our prayers are never answered. Well, God is sovereign. You know, such an abused word. God is sovereign, which means we're going to blame him for all the garbage that we caused. No, he said, you pray and I'll be here. I am. Your light will rise in darkness. Your gloom will become like midday. The Lord will continually guide you, satisfy your desire in scorched places. Give strength to your bones. You'll be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Those from among you will rebuild the ancient roots. Sorry, I don't have my glasses on, so I'm like squinting really hard here. Anyways, just describing a time of fruitfulness. I also need to. I'm getting going on this a little late. Sorry, Freya. I'm recording a little late. <laughs> so this is a description. If you're interested in where it is, some of you know Isaiah 58. This passage changed my life because he's going to tell you one of the keys to turning the light on. All right, I'll, I'll be a spoiler here. It's if your church is really con concerned about the poor and the oppressed, uh, that indicates that you're, you're quite possible that you're very close to the heart of God. A church that has no regard for the poor. Oh, yeah, we do. We do a Thanksgiving feed on, you know, in November and a present drive in December. Well, what are they supposed to do on the other 363 days or, you know, how many days? 365? Yeah. <laughs> days in the year. What are, what are these? Poor? Oh, I, I just thought they needed a Thanksgiving dinner and a, and a remote control car. You know, I thought that was good. Or a Barbie. Um, no, they need everything. They're, they're fatherless. They, they, don't, they need a place. They, they need food. They need guidance. They need to get the, their, their minds untangled because they've been abused, you know, et cetera. I want my people to lead the charge. Well, anyway, that's what he says. And this passage is a key. And this is what thrusts me out to really go after the poor. Why I care about the poor, because God cares about the poor. But this is just one passage that describes when the lights go on. In the uh, book of Acts, of course. The Holy Spirit is coming in amazing power. And uh, Acts chapter 4 is one of my favorite uh, um, passages when this occurs. They're in a prayer meeting, they say, Lord, note their threats, the people that are coming against the Christians. Grant that your bondservants may speak your word with confidence while you extend your hand. Signs and wonders take place in the name of your holy servant, Jesus. When they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken literally shaken like think of this place an earthquake they were all filled with the holy spirit they began to speak the word of god with boldness the congregation of those who believed were one heart and soul not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own but all things were in common were all common property with great power the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and abundant grace was upon them all. So it's not, that would be a pretty fun community to be involved in. Holy Spirit comes, shakes the house, fills them all with the power of God, the love of God. They share everything. Oh, you're talking about communism, socialism. I knew you were Democrat. No, there's nothing to do with that. They, they, nothing to do with that. No, this is not political. This is I love you, and if I love you, you can use my car. And if I love you, there's no possible way you're going to be sleeping out on the street tonight. If you don't have a place and if I love you and you don't have to be where to go on Thanksgiving, I'm going to make sure that you're taken care of. Right. It's like me casa su casa. You know, it's like that's just the heart of somebody that loves. It's not we turn everything ugly, but it's it's just a community full of people that love each other that are doing God's business. So does this happen in history? Of course it does. When people come out of the dark and they realize that the religion that they're doing is crazy and they get their nose in the word of God. And they find out what God's priorities are. And like James says, they draw near to him and then he draws near to them. So this morning I was just thinking of some of my favorite historical accounts, like the Moravians back in 1727. And uh, this is just, this is from a book about that season and, you know, about Ludwig von Zinzendorf and the Moravian, the uh, religious refugees that came onto his property and they started this prayer meeting. And then uh, in 1727, speaking of what occurred that memorable 13th day of August, historians tell, uh, tell that they left the house of God. And I hear this again and again when God shows up, hardly knowing whether they were in heaven or on earth. Um, 
I remember in one season where the Holy Spirit came, they said, if earth can be this incredible, why do we even need to go to heaven? It's when God comes, well, his presence is in heaven. That's why we want to be there. But when his presence comes, his presence comes and visits us, you know, kind of the same thing. Overwhelmed by the glory, the goodness, the kindness, the love, the forgiveness, everything. Everything we want, we need to just have our cups overflowing. Um, Zinzendorf, in his description, says, The Savior permitted uh, to come upon us a spirit of whom we had hitherto previously not had any experience or knowledge. Wait a minute, these are all Christians. Yeah, but it was so overwhelming, it seemed like something completely new to all of them. This dude was a serious Christian from the time he was a small child. But something so overwhelming happened that he said, hitherto, none of us had known anything about it. Uh, we've been the leaders and helpers. Now the Holy Spirit himself took full control of everything. So 1727. Yeah, so the Holy Spirit, yeah, he could work back then, but not today. So we'll just keep moving. So this is John Wesley. He's one of my favorite historical figures. The Moravians taught him how to do it. And he had a buddy named George Whitfield who, you know, he got some things done. He became like the most famous. He was like a rock star before rock stars were a thing, but he was a preacher and he'd go up and down the Eastern seaboard and you'd have a town of 5,000 and 10,000 would come to hear him preach. This guy, he was the most famous man in the English speaking world. But uh, in his journal, John Wesley, you know, I got to get my glasses. This is ridiculous. Hold on. So January 1st, 1739. So New Year's Day, they're having a pray in. They're not having a drink in or dance in or watch the ball get whatever drop in New York City. They're having a pray in. Mr. Hall, Kinchin, Ingram, Whitfield. There's George Whitfield. Hutchins and my brother Charles, one of the most famous hymn writers in the history of the world. We're present at our love feast. Why do they call it love feast? That's really weird. Read your Bibles. It's in there. At Fetter Lane with about 60 of our brethren, about three in the morning as we're continuing instant in prayer, the power of God came mightily upon us inasmuch that many cried out for exceeding joy. Many fell to the ground as soon as we recovered a little from the awe and amazement at the presence of his majesty, we broke out with one voice. We praise thee, O God. We acknowledge thee to be Lord. So the Holy Spirit fall. And hopefully you guys know enough about history. Actually, we're kind of sitting here because of that. America was Christianized largely because of what happened to John Wesley. Now, Methodism has almost nothing to do with John Wesley anymore. But the reason there's a little Methodist town, a church in every little town in Kansas, is because his army of circuit riders went out with the fire of the Holy Spirit preaching the gospel back in the day when they used to have the fire of the Holy Spirit in the gospel and Christianized this nation. And we're, we're like distant relatives in terms of all the emphases, things that we think are important. Conversion, you must be born again. The Holy Spirit, holiness, love of the word of God. They took the distinctives of Protestantism, lit them on fire, and spread them all over the English-speaking world. But the Holy Spirit came in power, like shook them, knocked them to the ground. They knew God was in the room, just like on the day of Pentecost. This is not some weird anomaly. God's not sitting off and spilling. I did it in the Bible, but I'm not going to do it anymore. I just think we're in the dark, and we don't know what draws his presence. And I think sometimes God looks at our churches and looks at us. I know you call yourself Christians and you say that's a Christian church and you say you're doing Christian things, but I really don't know what's going on down there because it doesn't look anything like my playbook. Could it be? Maybe. So I just, I was just this morning sampling and I, I showed you this one somewhere the other day. This is the 1950s. Woo, that was a jump. We could have got, pulled a whole bunch out of the 1800s. Man, we had Charles Spurgeon and Charles Finney and the great missionaries like John Hyde and Hudson Taylor and Amy Carmichael, all these people. They were seeing the Holy Spirit move like, well, just jumping ahead here to Scotland. The 1950s, get a little closer to our time. A certain man, this is the Hebrides Island. This is Duncan Campbell. This is a sermon, Duncan Campbell's sermon. A certain man, a deacon of the church, young man. Got up, read Psalm 24. Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? Who can stand in his holy place? He that has clean hands and a pure heart. That's part of the playbook. Clean hands and a pure heart. 
You hear about the sins going on in God's church right now. I just two that I heard this week just talk with friends. Like, if I were the Holy Spirit, I wouldn't come hundreds of miles from those churches. The stuff that's going on with the people sitting in the pews. Jesus died to make us holy. We think he died, he died, you know, died just so we'd have an excuse that we could get away with anything. So this guy says, then the young man closed his Bible, looking down at the ministry and the elders, he spoke these, these crude words. It seems to me so much humbug to be praying as we're praying, to be waiting as we're waiting, if we ourselves are not rightly related to God. Then he lifted up his two hands and prayed, God, are my hands clean? Is my heart pure? But he got no further. That young man fell on his knees and then fell into a trance, out cold on the floor. Duncan Campbell says, don't ask me to explain this. I can't. He fell into a trance. He's lying on the floor in the barn. And in the words of the minister at that moment, he and his other office bearers were gripped with the conviction that a God-sent revival must ever be related to holiness, which means moral, spiritual, relational, sexual purity. Holiness, living between the lines as God created us to live. Stop hurting people. Stop misusing the gifts of God that God's given you. When that happened in the barn, the power of God swept into the parish and an awareness of God gripped the community such as hasn't been known for over 100 years. And listen to the rest of this sermon. It's called God Came Down. Okay, South Africa. My son and I, in 2017, went to South Africa, and I kept running into this guy in Malawi. I'll be off in the middle of the most obscure place that I run into this white guy. There are no white guys anywhere, but I run into this guy. Um, and he said, you ought to come visit our ministry. It's called Kusiza Bantu. And it started with a revival. This guy didn't start it. It started back in the 60s. But the man who started it was still alive. He was, he was kind of super old and frail, but, but I went and visited. They hosted me. This was really the most impressive ministry slash economic development thing I've ever seen in Africa. But you can go online and you can type, type revival among the Zulus, PDF, just read it for free. But uh, he realized that he was powerless as a Christian. And in particular, there's a demonized lady that he tried to go help. And the, the demonic spirits in her just ended up mocking him. And he realized he was powerless and he couldn't do anything. So this caused him to kind of research, research out the scriptures, say, what am I missing? What am I doing wrong? And he got a bunch of his African um, Zulu fellow Christians together. And they said, let's just shut ourselves in a barn and get to the bottom of this. What are we doing wrong? Why are we so ineffective? Why isn't the gospel working? So they prayed, they sought the Lord, they repented, they got God's priorities lined up and adopted them as their priorities. Then the day came when God rent the heavens, as it were, and came down. While we were gathered together, suddenly we heard a noise like a great wind. It's in the 60s. I can only faintly suggest what happened and attempt to make it clear with a small example. It was similar to pressurized air escaping from an air pump. And as if that wind were blowing right through every one of us, the spirit of God came down and nobody had to explain to anybody else. Look, God is in our midst. Everybody was conscious of the presence of God without anybody saying a word. All we could do is bow down and worship the God of heaven. When that happened, the spirit of God came over that place, the whole area and brought the people. The first person to come was a witch who lived seven kilometers away and was in charge of a training school for witches. In the West, we're just like, that doesn't exist. What are you talking about? Harry Potter? This is, no, the rest of the world is caught in demonic bondage to witchcraft. We just think we're so smart, and because we don't believe in it, it's not real. The rest of the world's in bondage to it. And I remember when I visited this ministry, talking to a woman who was, was her father was raising her to be like the main witch of this area. So it's not a witch like a broomstick in a hat. It's witchcraft as an ancestor worship and manipulating demonic powers. After that, a witch came. Uh, after that witch came the witch doctor, then the possessed, one after another, day by day. For two or three months, we hardly had any sleep at all. The demon eye started flooding this ministry. 
I can show you pictures. They have a 10,000 seat auditorium. They have, I mean, they had a drug rehab ministry with like 400 people living on the premises. Uh, they're not in full-blown revival anymore, but it started with the move of the Holy Spirit that looked like the book of Acts. And it started because they said, let's get out our Bibles again and see what we are doing wrong. Instead of assuming, assuming that, you know, whatever in our brain is when we say Christian or Christianity or church is right. I remember I had my whole paradigm of church blown up because a friend of mine said, where's this multi-million dollar facility that you sit in twice a week or once a week? Where is that in the Bible? Nowhere. It doesn't exist. Your, the main idea of church in our heads doesn't even exist in the Bible. There is no building that people go and sit in for one or two hours a week in the Bible. So they reevaluated. God came. Miracles. Explosion. So then I, well, I was just pulling books off my shelf. Cool examples. Indonesia, 1970s. This book's called Like a Mighty Rushing Wind, Meltari. That night we were praying together. Suddenly the Holy Spirit came as he did on the day of Pentecost in Acts. Actually, this book was recommended to me by a teacher at the Moody Bible Institute that no longer believes in this type of thing, but that teacher did. And he said, I was there. And he said, I'll vouch for everything in this book. He said, the dead were raised. He said, the spirit came just as he did in the day of Pentecost. In Acts chapter two, we read, he came from heaven like a mighty rushing wind. That night, as I was sitting next to my sister, I heard this mighty rushing sound. It sounded like a small tornado in the church. I looked around, I saw nothing. I turned to my sister. Dear, do you hear that strange noise, I asked? Then I heard the fire bell ringing loud and fast across the street from the church. The police station had the fire bell. The man in the police station saw that our church was on fire, so he rang the bell to tell the people of the village to come quick. There was a fire, but it was a supernatural fire, and it wasn't burnt. But the way they put out fires in Indonesia is they ring the bell, and everybody runs there with their water pails to put it out. But the Lord manifested, and everybody came, and it started this incredible season of revival in Indonesia. And this is in the 1970s, because they were doing things right. And uh, this one's kind of cool. This is Canada, 1990s. I have a video. I have, I have some videos we could watch sometime about there's a guy that likes to go around the world and either talk to people that have been through these seasons or as best he can document what happened in the places and the localities. And uh, you can watch the people that experience this talk about this particular event. It started like thunder. It was a youth meeting in a little church. And I remember the youth leader said, this verse kept going through our mind. Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Which basically means get rid of all the sin in your life. Stop screwing around. Stop messing around. Get rid of the hatred. Get rid of the bitterness. Stop making excuses as to why, you know, you have to be in this relationship. Or you have to have this job or you can't get out of this or you just obey. Started like thunder. At first, no one knew what was happening. Moses Kayak, who is operating the sound system. These are, these are natives. Turned the volume off, but the noise kept getting louder. Then people began falling down without anybody touching them. James Ariak, who'd been leading worship, began to shake. The building began to shake. For about a minute, the noise continued to fill the church like a mighty rushing wind. Sounded like Niagara Falls, said Reverend Joshua Ariak, who was helping lead the afternoon youth service. Look at this. In St. Timothy's Anglican Church. Anglican, can there be a more dead kind of a church than an Anglican church? Sorry, Anglicans. Robes and smells and bells. God doesn't care what stripe or variety of Christian you are. You thought I was talking about a bunch of Pentecostals here, didn't you? No, I'm talking about people that actually search the word of God to find out how he wants it done. Last couple of weeks, we've been talking about the game, playing the game. Do you understand what the game is? Are you playing the game? Well, this is kind of that when I was a little kid, there was a every so often, if you got in a lot of trouble, there's a button you could hit. And it was just like clear the board. They still have that in video games where you like, is that still a thing? 
No, you're looking at me like during the headlights. You'd be, you'd be like playing a video game. So if this life is a game and the devil's like pressing in on us all, there's like a button we can push and just and all the opposition is just gone. That's what this move of the Holy Spirit is. That's what revival is. Real revival. It's like pushing that button. Everything's gone. Your crazy aunt is sane. Your wife that wants to leave you wakes up in the middle of the night and has a vision of Jesus. Your lost kid calls you on the telephone. Oh, I'm sorry, I've been ripped out. Seriously. We just don't, we don't, we're so far from God, we don't even know this is a possibility anymore. But it's happened again and again and again in history where God's people have said, hey, are we doing it wrong? Let's check. Are we walking in darkness? Let's check. So, Anglican. So then the sound went away. Along with the uh, Ariac brothers, about 40 people were in attendance at the service at Pond Inlet, a community of 1,200 high in the northeast coast of Baffin Island. So anyway, this revival just started moving all over the place. And you, you can, if you want to see the video, I have it, um, where it's interviewing these individuals. But we're, we're up in the 1990s now. It was actually late 1990s. So here's God, and he's telling the same chapter that I started with, Isaiah 58. And he's telling God's people, if you'd like this to happen, I'm going to explain to you why it's not happening. This is how the chapter starts, Isaiah 58. Cry loudly. To the, he's telling the prophet to do this. Don't hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Do, do, do. Pay attention. I'm going to tell you guys why God's not moving. Declare to my people what they're doing wrong. But they seek after me day by day, delight to know my ways. They have their prayer meetings and their rallies at the Capitol. Oh, Lord, restore the faith of our forefathers to us. Our forefathers were slave owners and deists, you know, a lot of them. So it's like, why don't we look in the Bible and see what's really worth praying about in terms of God restore our nation? They seek me day by day, delight to know my ways, as if they were a people that were doing things right. But, Christians pray today like, God, bring our nation back. Bring back prayer in the schools and all this kind of stuff. We don't even know what we're praying for. We pray for revival. What is a revival? What is God doing? What is he up to? Why does he show up? Why does he leave? I honestly, I just think we've lost the keys. We don't even know. We don't know why he comes. We don't know why he goes. We don't know why he's a million miles away. We haven't studied history. We don't look up these principles in the, in the scriptures. The best answer we get in our seminaries is God is sovereign. He throws it down when he wants to, and then he just decides to pull out when he wants to. And I don't know why. Just That's really, that's the answer a lot of pastors will give you. I don't even want to go into too many details. I know that for a fact, because I talk to enough pastors. They have no idea why it comes, no idea why it goes. No understanding of, of the historical model that, that sees this happen again and again and again. They seek me day by day, they delight in my ways, as if they were people that were doing things right. And we're not a people that who had forsaken the command of their God. They ask me for justice in the land. They delight in the closeness, nearness of God. And then they say, why have we fasted? We want to fast and pray, right, for a move of God. There's a certain kind of fasting you can do where God's not going to pay any attention to you. You're not twisting his arm, you know. There's a certain kind of prayer you can do that's not going to get anything done. They say, why have we fasted? Why have we humbled ourselves? And you don't notice. Um, so I'm just going to throw out some thoughts. And uh, quite frankly, <laughs> I'd love to talk to you about this. If you think any one of these points cannot be supported by scripture, my problem is there are too many scriptures. I could, I could be here all month proving to you that this is a lot of the problem of our culture. It's a problem of those of us who've been raised in the Bible, believing born again church in our culture. Um, but uh, I'm just going to throw out some things. I'll say it gently. There's a comedian a few years ago, and he would say, you may be a redneck if... Dot, 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 dot. So I'll just do it really gently like this. You may be in spiritual darkness, even though you're born again, Bible-believing Christian, if, that's pretty gentle. Uh, you don't know the word. I could say God's people may be in spiritual darkness. If, his people do not know the word. 
I meet almost nobody except you guys that has ever even memorized a chapter of the Bible, including pastors. I mean, we just, we don't know the Bible anymore. Um, it starts with the knowledge of deep knowledge of the word of God. How are we going to know the principles, who God is, what he wants, unless we know God's word deeply. And uh, if his people are not exercising faith, if you don't know his word, you don't know what his promises are. His promises are in his word. So you can't operate in faith if you don't know his word. It's impossible. So Jesus said, when the Son of Man returns, is he going to find any faith on the earth? Well, if God's people don't know his word, there's no possible way they could be functioning in faith. And faith isn't what we decided is. Faith is what faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Those who come to him must believe that he is. He's a reward of those who seek him. Faith is putting our confidence in the things God has stated clearly in his word, whether it's salvation, the power of the spirit, guidance, the power to live a holy life, wisdom, like James says, there's hundreds and hundreds of things. But when we don't know the word and we're not exercising faith, when his people do not pray? Well, when you don't know the word and you're not exercising faith, your churches aren't going to have prayer meetings. And most big churches in America do not have a prayer meeting. Even the good churches tend to have one a month, one every two weeks. Even the good churches where occasionally a person will get saved. In the Bible, they were praying all the time, whenever they would come together. Is there a link between these things? If you don't know the word and you're not exercising faith, you're not going to be, you're not going to have prayer meetings. When his people are not holy, I've already gone over this. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. It doesn't get any clearer than that from the book of Hebrews. You're not blessed are the pure in heart. They will see God. You want to see and experience God on this side of heaven? Get holy. A lot of people think revival is about miracles and prophecies and casting out demons and people falling down. And Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, many people are going to say to me, I was in those revivals, Jesus. What does he say to them? I never knew you. Why? Because they weren't holy. He didn't do the will of my father. I'm not, I'm not all about magic tricks. I'm about holiness. There's been plenty of revivals that didn't have any like healings or prophecies. There hasn't been any real revival without holiness. Holiness is what God's up to. And those things will happen because a healing is a way for God to manifest his love. And of course, if someone's demonized, they need to get free. So those things will happen. But that's not, it's not, a, it's not a show. It's not a circus where God's doing magic tricks for us. It's a place where God's people right now, we're not holy. You got people right now sitting in evangelical churches, committing affairs, cheating on their wife, shacking up with their fiance, boyfriend, girlfriend, <laughs> the church right now, because we're so clueless, we're having arguments about should we let homosexuals in the church? Like, like that should be on the table. But the rest of us don't have any right to throw stones because half the church is addicted to pornography and probably 25% are involved in just flagrant immorality. So let's not worry about the homosexual subculture until we, you know, get the heterosexual <clears throat> knots out of our head, right? So anyway, are we holy? Not by a long shot. So is it that God doesn't want to show up, God doesn't show up, or could we be just in darkness? So when his people don't know the word, his people aren't exercising faith, his people aren't praying, when his people aren't holy, I'll quote this 2 Chronicles seven fourteen again, principle goes Back as far as humanity. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves, pray, seek my face, face, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. Forgive their sins, heal their land. All right. When his people are not loud and proud about their Savior. This one convicts me. I went to, it's kind of weird. I went to, a store on the way here and I was buying gas and water for lunch and the person behind the desk or the was a woman and she made like a like an immoral crack joke and I was like did you just do what I thought you just did I didn't say that I just kept a 
I can't believe that. Um, you know, I'm not going to tell her I'm a pastor or whatever. The world is loud and proud about everything. I got snow hammered this weekend. You wouldn't believe it. Then I drove home and I crashed into a mailbox. And, you know, I cheated on my girlfriend, you know, whatever. I ripped the boss off. I cheated my way through my whole master's degree. They just boast about everything. But then when it comes to the fact that God became a man, shed his blood on the cross, I just don't want to come on too strong. No, I don't want to come on too strong. You look at these times that the Holy Spirit moves, they're like, hey, man, it's Jesus. What I should have done, that lady say, you know what, sweetie? You need Jesus. You need Jesus in your life. You're a broken woman. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Oh, here come the Jesus freaks. That refuge church, they're Jesus freaks. Yeah, if we don't become Jesus freaks, I don't think the Holy Spirit's going to show up. That's the, I was praying with someone this week, and that phrase came to mind. Loud and proud. The wicked are loud and proud about everything. And somehow the devil's beating us into submission, thinking that we can't be loud and proud about our creator, our redeemer. So anyway, I'll move on. Now, I'm convicted on this one because I'm, I've been operating the secret service as well as you for a long time. It's time to come out of the secret service, put on the colors, and say I'm all about Jesus. If you don't like it, you know, you're going to hear about it again if you run into me. So the apostles, they say, stop preaching in the name of Jesus. They say, you tell us whether we should obey man or God. God told us not to stop preaching in the name of Jesus. So that's what we're going to do. Okay. When his people are drunk on the world and need its approval. You know what this made me think of? Our seminaries. <laughs> our seminaries right now. I think you guys go to, one of the reasons I wanted to start discipleship training in our church is because I don't know where to send people. Our seminaries will destroy you. We're so eager to get a place at the scholarly seminar and to get our books published by the scholarly publications that we don't want to talk about miracles or salvation or one way to God. And we want all the guys from Oxford and Cambridge. Oh, you're smart. You're smart. And so the joke among scholars is that years ago, the Bible believing born again, people said to the unsaved Bible scholars, we'll call you brother. If you'll call us scholar, which is a No, they're lost. And we let them dictate the game to us. And so when you go to seminary, don't expect to have your faith fueled and built. If you want to read some of Duncan Campbell, who I quoted earlier, he went off to train for ministry after he had a vital walk with God. He was wrecked and he had to shake it all off. So there's a gap between about 1925 and 1950, where he was just a nice Joe minister in a big church, no miracles. And his daughter came up to him and said, Daddy, when is the last time you brought a soul to the cross? cut him to the heart. And he said, God, if you don't put me back where I was before I went through all that nonsense, I'm going to go into business. And same with John Sung, who was, he's the greatest evangelist in Chinese history. Union Theological Seminary almost destroyed the man. And then he realized the way that the world's doing it, that is, is destructive. And it's gotten into all of our evangelical schools. So we want the world's approval. And one of the ways that we do this is, is even in the way we do our faith. But it could be the way you compromise to please your friends at school or your mom or whatever. Uh, we don't need the world's approval. We have a message that the world needs. We need to be loud and proud. We need to die to self. We need to get it out there. And if we start acting like that, the Holy Spirit's going to back us up. Because, again, you read about these seasons where the Holy Spirit's moving, beginning with the apostles. They're not God's people are not in the secret service. They're out there. And they're not looking for the world approval because the world is lost. When religion is primarily seen as a road to personal blessing, that'd be the prosperity gospel right now. I became a Christian because I needed dot, dot, dot. Health and wealth or sanity or whatever, or a spouse or even a ticket to heaven. I'm in it for me. Um, real Christianity is realizing that you are a destructive foolish monster who deserves damnation, but that's not what you're created for. And that's not what God wants. So let him clean you up, put his spirit inside of you and then start following it. That's because that's what God wants. Not now you get blessed. You get, I'm perhaps the most blessed person I know, but you're not in it for the blessing. You're in it because you realize that you are an abomination and you're a sinner and you've hurt a lot of people and you're sinful and you need God to cleanse you, fill you with his spirit and then teach you how to live your life. So right now, we're in this thing 
Oh, this title is just such a good example. I always quote it. We're in it for our best life now, right? Put in your 10, get your 100. That's why we go to church. Put your 10 in the offering plate, and God is then obliged to give you 100. If you really want a lot, put in 100, and then you get 1,000. That's nonsense. We're not in this, first and foremost, for personal blessing. We're in this to bring God glory and to function as we were created to function. So, anyway, this is this. The church is in darkness when God's people don't know the word, when we're not exercising faith, when his people don't pray, when his people aren't holy, when his people are not loud and proud about their savior, when people are drunk on the world, need its approval, when religion is seen primarily as a road to personal blessing. Let's see what else we got here. When his people do not know and show his heart. Which means if you call yourself a Christian, you should be qualitatively different than the people around you. You know, I got Marlena here in the front row and some might say, you know, she drives me nuts with this Jesus stuff, but she is the most honest person in the office and she is the most hardworking and she's very kind. And you know what? When I'm in trouble, I know just who to go to, who's going to pray, right? We should have qualitatively different lives than the people around us because we know the God of compassion and kindness and gentleness and humility looks, looks, acts, feels just like Jesus. And we reflect this God to the world. Right now, Bible-believing Born-again Christians in the eyes of the world are pretty far from that. We're like spitting mad about the violation of all our rights, picketing, storming the Capitol. That's what Bible-believing Christians do. Seriously. I know I'm offending people, but I don't care. So, and here's, here's the last one, and this gets back to Isaiah. When his people do not give priority to the poor. When you have these big multi-million dollar churches and they just do like little token silly things like the, the, the parable of the widow's might where the, where the poor widow gives everything. And the rich people give a bunch, but Jesus said, oh, that's just the fat trimmings off of their steak. It's not the good stuff. They're just, it looks like a lot, but it's, it's not from the heart. It's not their best. This widow gave her best. Um, we've got these rich churches. I'm sure they do these little pittance things for the poor sometimes. God said, the poor are my heart. And so this is where Isaiah ends. And this is just one example of when his people are in darkness. But he says, is this not the fast which I choose? Which means the fast that they were doing weren't working. But he said, if you were fasting and doing these things, you'd have had my attention. Release the bonds of wickedness under the, the ropes of the yoke. As in, are people bound up? Are people enslaved in chains, addiction, poverty, sex abuse, sex trafficking, you know, People in the cycle of the prisons, you know, all kinds of stuff, racial issues, people that are oppressed. Get, get concerned about them. Break every yoke. Divide your bread with the hunger. Oh, that's the poor. Have some poor people over for Thanksgiving. Jesus actually said, why don't you have a feast and just invite people that can't give you anything back? Tell your family you'll be over later. Bring the homeless poor into the house. For a real church, we have solutions for the poor. We meet a poor person and we kick it in and we say, oh, we know what to do with this person. We're not going to call the experts. Oh, is this the uh, state state agency? Yeah, we don't know what to do. So we're going to send them over to you. If you know any rich people, if you could give us their number, that'd be great. So it's, no, it's bring the poor into your house. Find somewhere for them. When you see the naked, cover them. Don't hide yourself from your own flesh. Stop acting like it doesn't exist. Then your light will break out like the dawn. Your recovery will speed, speedily uh, spring forth. Your righteousness will go before you. The glory of the Lord will be your regard. So anyway, he's talking to his people just about these very practical social issues that they're missing. Why? Because they're missing the heart of God. They're missing the mind of God. And God says, well, if you're not interested, <laughs> one of the prophets, God says this, you don't listen to me, I don't listen to you. That's the deal. You don't listen to me, I don't listen to you. So I guess that's what we want to pray about this. this uh, I see it's almost quarter till, and I will get it done at quarter till. Um, that's what I want to do a month of prayer fasting. I want to be a church that's not in the dark. And we are in the dark in some ways, but we're doing some cool things, and we're heading in some good directions. And I say this every week, you're the best group of Christians I've ever been around. And you're excited. And when we do come across a situation where there's a poor person, a broken person, I get phone calls and texts and emails. Can I give? Can I help? Can I go do something for this person? 
And you guys are sharing your faith. So, and we are praying. So it's not like, you're like, I never heard that before. That's crazy. I've never heard this whole list of things. You guys already know it all. But what God's shown me is we got to push harder. And we got to say, God, is there any vestige, residual of that embarrassment of who you are? That secret service mentality? Destroy it. Show me how to get out there. But am I not committed to prayer like I need to be? Am I making excuses as to why I'm not going to come out on Tuesday night? Am I making excuses as to why I don't have to fast and pray for a move of the Holy Spirit? Or am I really going to throw myself into the things that God's laid out? Uh, the other day, uh, yeah, a couple times over this uh, Thanksgiving break, I had opportunities come up where God says, hey, I want you to do this for somebody who has a need. I was like, really? Really? I mean, that's my nap time, you know, and that's that's when uh, I'm supposed to be hanging out with the family and like eating five times more than I should. And God's like, yeah, but there's needy people. And so go get your hands dirty. I found that those are the only things we're talking about in a couple of years. The things that we are drawn to in the in the immediacy of our human flesh are not the things we're going to remember. The things that, you know, you turn the car back around and you say, hey, you need some help, right? Those are the things that those are the things you're going to remember. Or you, you're not going to remember all the people that you went out sharing the gospel with. You're going to remember the one that you actually worked up the courage. You know, Come on, go and say something. You know, and you're going to remember that one. So, anyway, I think God's people right now. I'm totally convinced in the American church we're just largely in the dark. I don't want our church to be in the dark, and we shouldn't be angry. A lot of us came up with those churches. We didn't realize they were in the dark. We thought we were doing pretty good. Um, and not, don't get angry. Let's just show people what it looks like when the glory of God is resting on a people. So they're jealous. They say, I want that. I say, okay, let me show you the list. This is what we got. Okay. I think there's a lot of hungry people out there that want God's presence and they just don't know yet. So anyhow, those, that was what my, uh, that was what was on my heart this week. And, uh, I feel better because I got it out. Um, and uh, I hope that was helpful. I hope you guys think through that and let, let God touch you at points um, and make changes. Say, because of what I heard, I'm going to do this. I'm going to tell your spouse, tell your friend, tell your roommate. Come up with something practical, changes, so that we can draw near to God, so we'll draw near to us. So let's pray. Father, we love you. I do. I love this body, Lord. This is so much fun. These people are so, so wonderful. Um, they, they do love you. They do want what's best. They are prayerful. They do give. They want to obey. Uh, even where they fail, they know they're failing and they want to change. It's just such a blessing to be around them. But we want more, Lord. Everything good in this place, we want you to uh, multiply it and everything that's getting in the way, we invite you to prune it out and get rid of it. No matter what that is, Lord. Purify us, sanctify us, make us holy, and fill us. And I pray in Jesus' name, with this new year, we'd be a place where your glory is manifested so the world can see it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.